There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith. You are, I have got to find a way to get outside and enjoy this weather. Um, at some point today, if you guys are listening here early in the week uh, from Nebraska, it is 70 here, uh, or supposed to be 70 today, Monday, as, as we're recording this. Uh, so I definitely got to figure out a way to get out there, at least maybe walk the dog. Uh, today, I am joined by Hale Varsity Radio host, uh, Chris Schmidt. Chris, thank you for being on the show. How are you doing, man? Greg, I'm good. It's like it's USC weather here in Lincoln. <laughs> that is right. And we, we definitely have USC weather. No beach, um, but we definitely <laughs> have USC weather. Um, and, it, and it's funny, man, because that's exactly where, where we're going to start. Um, as we start each show off, uh, one of my favorites called Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach, player, or talking head said, and then we give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. This time we actually have hindsight of knowing exactly what this guy meant when he said this and this guy being Lincoln Riley uh, who had this to say after uh, his team's loss in Bedlam in the big rivalry game to Oklahoma State uh, he was asked during the press conference about all the speculation about him leaving OU um, and he said and I quote um, I'm going to stop you right there I am not going to be the next head, next head coach at LSU next question let's break that down well, he ain't, he ain't lying. <laughs> well, he was not lying. I will give him credit for that. I will also give him credit for this. That was one heck of a move um, to really kind of blunt the question of, do you plan to go anywhere? Like there was no like, hey, I'm committed to Oklahoma or any of that because of the way that he handled it. So Schmidt, I would normally ask, what does he mean? But we know what he means. So I just want to kind of get into this. Like, what a move. It's brilliant. And the, his tone, his delivery, and his take right after a gut-wrenching loss. It's not like OU loses to Okie State that often, like two times in the last 16 years. But the way he said it frightened the, the follow-up. Well, he just shut down LSU, so he must be serious. He must not be going anywhere. It's an 11-2 and two year potentially, and – Hello, Alamo Bowl, right? No, right. Uh, he, he knew what he was doing, Greg. And, you know, people will email, text, or tweet, you know, what's he doing? What's he doing? A friend of, of, of ours and Hale Varsity's for years, who we talked, you know, Big 12 and OU's Dean Blevins. And mm-hmm. Dino's sitting there, 3 o'clock yesterday, 3.30 yesterday, and poor Dino's ready to go, ready to tape the Lincoln Riley show. <laughs> And, and there's no Lincoln Riley. And, you know, I, I don't fault Lincoln Riley at all. He clearly wasn't consultant, consulted. Hey, do you want to go to the SEC for uh, several more million a year for the, for the league and for the TV? Listen, uh, he's really talented coach. 
OU found him. Stoops had kind of the radar up, and, and Stoops even retired to pay it forward early. We know the history. We know the the car that Lincoln Riley was given, and, and he waxed and polished instead of wrecking. Right. But when push comes to shove, man, this is an absolute no-brainer. SC's got to really just deal with Oregon right now. Yep. Uh, OU raids California anyway, but it's just a little easier to, to raid 20 minutes from his new backyard now versus right. the uh, the sale job. And I like Norman, but it, it ain't L.A. It ain't Cali. And it's just it's just brilliant. And at some point, man, uh, eight and five isn't going to cut it in Oklahoma. OU as they transition into the SEC is going to be eight and five. Texas hopes to be 500. And it's a really tough transition. This is brilliant on his part. It's not cowardly. It's calculated. And I applaud Lincoln Riley for Riley for just saying, look, I'm out. See, ya. I got a better deal here. And it's not like he's taking a NFL gig. He's going to SC. Uh, they don't have great facilities. They have amazing history, but they've got the recruiting base. It's what all coaches want. Yeah. And it's one, it's one of those things where it's not, he didn't, there are very few, and this is why, and I, this is why you have so much like kind of anger from the OU side is that, and I, I think partially is because he didn't leave for a job that you're like, oh yeah, he's going to go. And, and they're just kind of an okay job. Oklahoma is a really, really good job, but USC is a top five job in the country. Like, and, 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 and he's a top, four five coach in the nation you, you, tra- you traded top five to... for top five it's just where they're at in the pecking order right now yeah it, it's really hard and so what i mean it's hard for oklahoma to then replicate that right now i was saying this to a buddy yesterday he was like well oh well where does OU turn from here and and it really doesn't matter and on one hand because it's not going to be lincoln riley it's the only way that you can stay in that echelon of coach if you're OU, is you have to go get like Saban or Dabo, it depending on what you kind of think about Ryan Day, like those kind of things. And, he, and even that kind of comes with that caveat. You know about guys, you know, coming into good situations. I know that's always a knock on Day, but like it's really tough to replace a guy like Lincoln Riley because there just aren't many of those ty- type of coaches out there, especially with the history that he's in the resume that he's already built, particularly with offense. And you kind of think about, what it's been like at OU for him with that offense you think about just transplanting that out to to Southern California and to USC you saw what it was like when they had Pete Carroll and Norm Chow and they were rolling with those guys and all the players that they had by essentially the the blueprint of we're gonna lock up the borders of California and then we'll go cherry pick guys from around the country and we'll make this thing work and we'll win in a large, large level. It's going to be the same thing that Lincoln Riley tries to do because, oh, by the way, he's already recruiting those guys in California and getting them to come to Norman. That's the other thing that I think is you just kind of think about him going out to USC and like, hey, can he, how quickly can he do this thing? If Tomorrow. All, right. <laughs> when he lands, has he landed yet? Um, he, he left this morning. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw it was funny. I don't know if you saw if you guys saw the video or the photos um, of him outside of the plane getting there, and people, and it was in the dead of night or looked like it was dead of night because it was super early in the morning. Um, and there were all sorts of jokes about him skirting out of town in the middle of the night. But the, you mentioned Oregon earlier and how they just have to get by Oregon. Well, what's one of the things that's really fueled Oregon's rise in the Pac-12? They've been raiding California. 
what happens if that slows down? Not even stops, just slows down because Lincoln is in California now. And he's already like those things. If I'm other teams in the Pac-12 and I've seen some of the messages on Twitter. So I know that this is happening. You've got to be really worried um about now usc finally getting this thing right and it's one of those glamour jobs and one of those national jobs in the country where when you and it's one of those teams where when usc is really good college football just feels a little bit more like college football i think it's a home run deal all around for everybody it is and you know greg we look at at lincoln riley how he has won it's been fun it's been sexy the offense has been high flying they've had some high-level defensive guys, they've got an edge pass rusher, right? So uh, they win in a, in a very uh, pleasing way to watch. And it's high-flying, Circus Act, Big 12. You can do that in the Pac-12. Utah is really good, okay, but they're still 9-3 and three good. Washington, we'll see where they go. They have the potential because they've got a history of going to California. And to your point with, your point with Cristobal, he's, he's different. They're built different. They're still flash, but they're not just patty kick anymore. They're no, lines they of like scrimmage. Are, they're yeah. physical. And yeah. it's super Mar- it's Mario that's made them physical. And as long as he's there, they're okay. But we'll see if mama comes calling him down at the U, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've and that's the thing that will make for and that what I'm I'm really excited for as you really size up what will end up probably happening in the future with Oregon and USC really going to war here on the field is stylistically that makes for some really interesting football, right? Mm -hmm. The way that those two teams are going to play uh, makes things really interesting. But the thing is, is there's going to be a lot of fallout from this particular, this decision and, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you get a top five coach in the sport leaving, uh, you know, a great program in Oklahoma to go to another great program at USC. You're going to have a lot of fallout. We're seeing it kind of in my world with recruiting already. Um, mm-hmm. Oklahoma losing, I think it's six at, at the time of recording this, because I assume there's going to be more at the time of recording this, they've already lost six commitments um, in their recruiting classes across 22 and 23, a five-star running back in 22, three different, like, I think it's two, two five-stars and another four-star from California for the 23 class um, that all go to the same high school. Like, it's a really weird situation. Like, <laughs> like you're just going to basically essentially take all those kids and have them go um, to USC. But the fallout from that is real because what ends up happening is, is it's not just those guys. There's a long trickle-down effect of the rest of their recruiting class we're in 2021 with the transfer portal. So what happens with their guys transferring as well? They've got a number of talented players that could obviously because they're at OU and winning games out there, they could have gone to any number of schools. Like it's just going to be fascinating to see um, how quickly OU can kind of stop the hemorrhaging here because they're the race is on for them to get another coach in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're going to have Bob Stoops, uh, you know, stop the bleeding here for the bowl game. Do you talk Bob into coming back at age 61 and coaching his son, Drake? Do you turn to uh, Mark Stoops, who's done a, a great job? It's Mark, right? Not yeah. Mike. Yeah, it's Mark. Uh, in Kentucky. So do you pluck him with an SEC background to come back to Norman? Yeah. Uh, do you call Josh Heupel, who's done really well at Tennessee? I know he got blown out as uh, as OC at it uh, in in Norman, but they really traded 
up uh, to, to get a guy like Lincoln Riley because he was on the horizon through the leech tree, of course. Yep. So, and then there's the pirate. I mean, he's not Mississippi state. He's killing it down there. I mean, they had a really good year at seven and five. Uh, he was an OC at, at, at Oklahoma. So there's a, there's a hundred names that can kind of plug in, but is OU willing to, to take the right guy versus the big name? And that's what you're yeah. losing. You're losing the name, but you can, you can get a, a name that Micah Stoops or, you know, Bob would be fine, but a Heupel or a Mark, they're not Lincoln Riley, but I think they get Norman and they've won. They've been a part of winning in Norman. So I think OU is going to be okay, but we'll just see how, uh, how the genius either stalls or grows or goes to a whole new level for Lincoln Riley. Now that he's at SC in a more manageable league. I don't know that. And I, you tell me this, do you think the PAC 12s a more manageable league than the big 12? And I ask that because big 12 is going to be shaken up here shortly. And OU has been really good. They've been top 10, but they're still, they're still either 11 and two or one and done in the playoff. I mean, that that's where they're living right now. Yeah, I do. I do think the Pac-12 is more manageable than the Big 12, because I think that one of the things that I think that people underrate a little bit about the Big 12 is how difficult. So it's always it, people always talk about Oklahoma and Texas and Texas has been OK, but I think Oklahoma State has shown their consistency level has just been so good. Like, And I think that they're underappreciated for what they've been able to do um, over, over the, the Gundy tenure. Um, Kansas State is always tough to play, um, and I think they're kind of on the rise. Baylor has obviously shown that they've been able to rise up, um, and I think that they're on a good trajectory right now with Dave Aranda. So I do think that the Pac-12 is more manageable. Um, and I also think it's I think it's easier to recruit to the Pac-12 than it is the Big 12, which also – and it's clearly easier to recruit mm-hmm. to, to USC than it is – well just about anywhere else um, in the country Mm. Um, and so yeah I I think that there are a lot of different reasons Mm. uh, why you would want that over especially as you transition Oklahoma out of the Big 12 and into the SEC I think it's a different conversation if they were staying in the Big 12. Mm. I think that totally agree yeah but I think that it's interesting that there's a lot of different moving parts um, and kind of speaking of moving parts right now, uh, Nebraska football, we have entered uh, the offseason officially. Um, the contact period started yesterday. Today is Monday. As like I said, as we're recording this, it's Sunday. Um, Nebraska coaches and all coaches could go in home uh, with recruits for recruiting visits. But there's a bigger thing even than, than recruiting uh, going on as Nebraska is trying to hire uh, four offensive assistants. Scott Frost is, is on the lookout for those guys and he's, he's interviewing. Um, at this time and kind of trying to put that staff together there's a number of ways and there's also guys you know making decisions uh, that are current players do I stay do I go NFL draft transfer portal uh, leave football all together there's no shortage of ways to go with the offseason talk so I guess I'll, I'll just kind of start here with you Chris what has your eye or attention the most of all the storylines that we have for this offseason for Nebraska? What's the, the number one thing, I guess, that you're looking at right now? Number one thing for me is, is where does Nebraska go with the offensive line? And yep. I think the O-line and the O-C are, are very important, but Nebraska, whoever's playing quarterback, whatever play call is being sent in via frost or his new oc what's the success rate going to be like if you want to if you have to run it greg on third and two 
with a running back and not a quarterback. Can you get it? What are you going to do against Michigan or Ohio State or Michigan State? Or what are you going to do off the edge to prevent hurries? When we talk about pressures for your quarterback and a magician like Adrian, he was still pressured on damn near 50% of his of his pass attempts. Which is just wild to think about. Right. So can you go get an offensive line coach? Is that going to be uh, Donovan Riola with, with your Bears? Uh, there's been his name's uh, mentioned. Uh, I want John Garrison because he has developed incredible offensive linemen and he's climbed the ladder from a GA to a really good offensive line coach and his special teams were impeccable when he was here at Nebraska from 2009 through 2014. Him and Papuchas had great players, but they had great special teams, kicking, return, uh, punting, punt coverage, okay? So go get me an offensive line coach and and morph more into Michigan, where you've got a very serviceable quarterback that can throw. If you need to throw for 350 to win, great, but don't make that the mandate. Find me a a one-two punch at running back, get downhill, be tough, be effective, be able to be one of those teams like Wisconsin, like Iowa at the end of the year, as good as Nebraska's defense was, they got beat up the last two weeks trying to stop the run because you had no offensive help. Turn yourself into one of those teams where you own November, you own the last two weeks in November because of your ground attack. It's going to be the offensive line coach. Are you, you can, you can do it. You can flip around your offense uh, presumably, and, and, and just kind of mesh your personnel. But are you willing to? Are you willing to? We know Nebraska runs it. But are you willing to, to really hone in on being a more of a physical run team? And that's going to start with whoever you hire as O-line. What's your priority on it? Yeah, I really like that pick. Um, and not just because I know, I, from talking to you off pod, I know that you have been locked in on the offensive line. I have too. Um, that is something that we are definitely in agreement on because I think that it's not that it doesn't matter what Nebraska runs. Um, I don't want it to come off that way, like what type of offense they run. It definitely matters. And I think that certain styles lends itself better to this conference or to other conferences. Um, I, I definitely think that's a factor. But it matters a little less if you can actually execute because your offensive line is performing at a higher level. And I don't even mean, man, I don't, I'm not even saying that Nebraska's offensive line next year needs to be dominant. I'm not saying be Michigan in a, in a year's time. But what I'm saying is if Nebraska's offensive line was average this past season, I think that they win at least two more games. If you think about, you mentioned kind of, you know, can you get those third and twos? Think about like how many times Nebraska stalled out in the red zone. Their red zone offense has been very bad um, over these last four years. If they were able to move piles, and I directly directly attribute it to this, if they were able to move piles at a more consistent clip to pick up those tough yards when the field gets more condensed, they would score more touchdowns. Then, and it's not even and not score field goals because we know they've been missing those field goals to then not have to then put the field goal unit even out there. They would be scoring touchdowns. And when you have so many one score losses, that's a manageable way to say, okay, we're going to be able to flip those one score games because we have gotten markedly better at just being good in the trenches on that offensive line. I think that that's a path to being able to do that. And that's why I do think that the offensive line hire to me 
is really, really important. And I like what you said about, and you made sure to slide this in, that the running back, getting rushing production from a running back, I think is very key. Because at some point, and at some point is now, we're going to have to have a real conversation, whether it's like, we're talking about it, but like Scott Mm -hmm. Frost is going to have to have a real discussion on why is it that we cannot run the football with running backs. We're now what, two, are we two years in a row? With a quarterback being the leading rusher. Under 500 yards from a running back rushing. Yeah, like you can't, I don't, you're not going to be able to win, and they haven't been able to win doing that, especially when you look around the league. And, and you know, it was always the running joke, right? We would talk to the defense every week, and not the running joke, but it was always a running theme where we talked to the defense and we were like, hey, how do you guys get ready to stop this running back? You got to stop Tyler Goodson this week. You had to stop Braylon Allen. You, you've got to stop the guy from Ohio State. And they would always say, well, every week we face one of these guys. But when Nebraska plays teams, no, you don't. you're not feeling that, right? <laughs> so, and that's the thing. We, that has to be flipped. We, Nebraska went years and years where the running back, obviously with given like the tradition of running backs here, was such a big thing. And somehow that's been completely void in this offense. And that has to change as well. There's a trust issue, uh, per- perhaps, when it comes to what, what the O-line could do. And uh, the, the safe play was, well, let's just let Adrian make it happen, right? Right. You're too, re- too reliant on your quarterback. And I thought Smothers did a hell of a good job. I thought he was really nice. And I thought they eased him in. And then they asked him to throw it too much in the fourth quarter. They, they panicked. But good luck, Greg. You're all over recruiting. It's one thing to not be able to run for five or 600 yards as a running back position mm-hmm. with your leading rusher. And then what do you do when you're pitching kids in the living room this time of year? Hey, come play running back in Nebraska. You can maybe run for 500 yards. Right. I mean, who, who are you, you going to go get? What's your appeal that way? It's really so, tough because on one hand, you can say, man, come, come here to Nebraska. We've got this great running back tradition, and we run an offense that's running back friendly. But then if the kid says, well, hey, coach, how come the last couple of years that hasn't been the case? I don't know what the explanation is. Unless you're going to say, hey, that's why we're shaking up the running back coach position, right? Like, I don't know. And that's that's what becomes really tricky about just as a, a big picture issue. And I don't, it's not just at running back. It's all over the place of when you're having to make those pitches to kids now and you've got four years of data, it becomes really difficult to make that pitch. And that's why you ultimately part of why you have to, you had to make the move um, to move on from four different assistants, because you have to be able to pitch to people, Hey, this is what we're going to be able to do different. Got a a heads up from our friends at football scoop. And you got Mickey Joseph's name kind of leaking out here as we record the, your podcast, Gregor's uh, and, uh, it sounds like uh, you've got uh, the, the the Mickey Joseph to Nebraska opportunity uh, heating up right now. Of course, Mickey, uh, quarterback, uh, hooked up with Johnny Mitchell a lot on those option passes uh, in my youth. But there's uh, there's the look right now for a receivers coach and recruiting coordinator. Uh, that wouldn't hey, that wouldn't right suck. Right in, I know, no, uh, to get Mickey funny, but Mickey back here. Yeah, and so they just my quick take on that, especially the recruiting coordinator portion of it is awesome um, because just from the, because we've had, his name came up, was it 
two two years ago, the year that mm-hmm. Lubick came in, his, Mickey Jones' yeah. name was, was came up a lot. And so I had done a little bit of research into him recruiting wise. Um, and boy, there's a laundry list <laughs> of guys. Uh, that he's been able to recruit based off of his connections down in Louisiana. It makes a ton of sense because Nebraska likes to recruit down in that region um, as well. I think that that would be, if that, if that ends up being one of the additions to the staff that Mickey Joseph, and hey, by the time this actually goes live, because of how quickly things move, we learned our lesson from Lincoln Riley in the six hours that it took for that to all come together. Um, that could be out um, by the time that this podcast goes live on Tuesday morning. So we'll see. That's a really intriguing name. Um, and I think one that would be very welcome around here. Well, you want to you get better, you get better talent, right? And Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, DJ Clark, Keyshawn Boot, uh, just to name a few. And you, you wonder if Pete's may also be on that radar for OC. Um, and, you know, you have the, the special teams discussion point too, Greg. And Oh, man, we haven't – yeah. <laughs> you, you've got you've – got, uh, that I mean, I, yeah, I think you got to find a way to keep Bill Bush here because uh, of recruiting. I think Ricky Brumfield's really good too out of Virginia, but you know, I I think Bill Bush. I mean, Urban swears by Urban Meyer swears by him. He's been in Jersey. He's been at LSU. He's been at Ohio State. I mean, he's Bill Bush has been everywhere and has success he's been a, everywhere. Yes, he he is a cornerstone get four staffs with recruiting and and i'm glad he's a defensive analyst but keep him here man let him go you get mickey joseph and, and bill bush hammering all parts of the world for yeah. for talent and then that yeah and add that in with with a guy like sean beckton you have a, yes um, Becton's a, really good as a coordinator especially you chins gets after it on the recruiting show you could really have something put together there but yeah. that's but actually I'm, I'm glad you brought up the special teams point because this has been even as Nebraska's special team was kind of historically bad <laughs> this past season, and it, I shouldn't even say kind of because people are yelling at me right now through, through their headphones. It wasn't kind of. It was historically bad. There is still a debate on whether or not Nebraska should go the route of having a dedicated special teams coordinator because, remember, to be able to do that, they are going to have to basically take away another coach uh, because you can have, let's say, just for the for the of an example, you can have OC slash quarterbacks coach. That still doesn't get you to being able to have just a dedicated special teams coordinator. You would have to have someone else double up as well. So keep that in mind. Be able to have this dedicated special teams coach. You have to have someone else double up too to be because you can only have ten. So Schmidt, are you in favor of having that dedicated special teams coordinator? Where do you fall on that? I, I am just because of it, it's not hard and fast that you have to have one past Nebraska staffs didn't, but you had the right guys coordinating it. And I think, listen, I don't think you, you can hammer Dawson for the shortcomings, even though he's been in charge of the, you know, making the, making the meal uh, guys got to go execute. You've got to prioritize going out and finding a Kenny Bell, a Sam Fultz and Amir Abdullah, DeMornay Pearson L. A, a, a Sam Smith guys that when Nebraska was winning eight, nine, 10 ball games a year in miraculous fashion, it was special teams. There are a Last lot of special did, teams plays that you remember in those games yeah. that flipped the game. The mornings two against Iowa. How do you come back the last time you, you, you beat Iowa? It's because you're special teams, right? In that fourth quarter, you, you know, race a, a 17 point deficit to force overtime. 
go make it a priority to get dudes that are difference makers in the return game, in the coverage game, and in the kicking game. They're out there. Go find them. You found them before. You can find them again. It's not just an, an afterthought position group or, or player kicking the ball. You got to make sure it's, it's a rock star. Make it, look, at, look at Sammy Cook. How long has he been kicking in the NFL? 400 years, right? right. I mean, you get that guy. It, it helps you win games. It's not costing you points or field position or momentum. You just got to make it an emphasis. And you've, you've had to learn the hard way how many years in a row with kickoff returns, with acts of God when it comes to <laughs> safeties or, or being pinned in your own five, I mean, or, or catching the ball inside your own 10 to set up another safety, right? I mean, you've got to have, you, you have to have learned your lesson. And it comes down to uh, just admitting you were wrong. I didn't pay enough attention to this. Let's fix it and let's fix it now. And let's fast track it. And I think a guy like Bill Bush can do that. Yeah, and it's also one of those things where no one's going to ding Coach Frost on the back end if he comes out and admits that he made a mistake, if it gets fixed. Like, that's what people want to see that. Just like, win. <laughs> yeah, just – and I think, you know, one of the other things that you were saying that about the games um, that have been flipped, it, what it makes me think of is, is it's similar to the running back situation and part of why I think people are so frustrated about the special teams is, man, one of the things that you just knew about Nebraska football for years was that they were going to have good specialists, right? Like there are always kickers and punters and return men for that fact um, that have been good here. Like it, it just always happens. And those guys are always, and you start to look up and some of those guys, kickers, especially that have been at Nebraska in the last handful of years are now doing very well at other schools um, that could have been doing that here. Um, mm -hmm. Those kids basically grow up in the state of Nebraska um, wanting to kick and punt um, for, for this home state school. Like it's one of those things that it you almost had to have not paid attention to it for it to get this bad. And I think that what you come to realize, and I got to give credit to Brandon Vogel for this, because I didn't, I always do when I think about it, because he was the first one to say this to me, is that the thing about the Big Ten that you come to learn is that it's an execution league, right? Like you can talk about, people get caught up in kind of Ohio State's talent, and Penn State always has a lot of talent, and Michigan obviously has talent. But at the end of the day, when you play teams in the Big Ten, the hallmark of basically all of those teams is they execute at a really high level. Even the teams that don't have a lot of talent on the net, on an annual basis, like your, you know, Iowa is one of them, but Northwestern is definitely one that wins a lot of games by executing and just doing all the little things. Um, and you get your set. Nebraska gets itself in trouble so often because they are the antithesis of that. They are the exact opposite of what those teams are. A lot of flash, but the little things elude them at all times. We hear that obviously every week in press conferences with Scott Frost, but that's what's going to get Nebraska to close that gap. Like, and that's the thing that to me that makes it even more frustrating is that I feel like the path really is there, but the key is what you said. Do you recognize that? And do you actually make an honest effort to change it versus just thinking that it's going to happen? Do you shift your thinking where, well, my offensive line is going to be better. I'm going to be scoring 45 a game here shortly. So I don't need to worry about special teams because I'll be outscoring everybody. It's part of the, the it's, I mean, it's, it's part of the, the growth and maturity part where 
you realize you're in a, in a different league. And we've seen Coach Frost make changes when it there comes to time, changes. Yeah. time of possession, philosophical changes where, oh, I am not going to get 90 plays a game. Right. Look at this number. How many field goals did Iowa make? They went four for four, right? Mm-hmm. How many field goals did Ohio State make in a, in a nine-point win? I think they went three for three. I think it was three, yeah, because they had an automatic guy. <laughs> so so you, you have three or four field goals perfect from Iowa, four field goals. You have three for Ohio State, Michigan in a three-point escape act at night at Memorial Stadium. Their kicker, the defense held Michigan to four field goals in the red zone. Think about that. Those guys are perfect. We're talking 11 or 12 out of 12 against Nebraska right. field goal-wise. And we're talking both teams that are playing in the Big Ten title game, Iowa and Michigan, and your your BCS or your your college football playoff favorite up until Ann Arbor Saturday okay. in uh, in Ohio State. Those are the earth. there's your 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 side of the the, the neighborhood in, in Iowa, and then the, the the two cream of the crop teams. What got them out of Lincoln with victories? It's being perfect with field goals. Yeah, and I think that that is going to be. A big emphasis. Um, I would hope that it's going to be a big emphasis in the offseason. I think it almost has to be, um, especially getting the kicking situation, kicking and punting situation figured mm-hmm. out. But man, there will be a ton, a ton of fallout and things to follow up on um, throughout this offseason. But I want to go ahead and get to our favorite segment uh, every week. Uh, put them on blast where we put somebody on blast for something they did or said. Put them on blast. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to go ahead and go first on this one. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave college football for the first time in this episode. Uh, and I'm going to go out to the NBA, uh, for my blast and I'm going to put John Wall on blast. Now, John Wall, um, is a, well, I was going to say the starting point guard of the Houston Rockets. He's not the starting point guard of the Houston Rockets. And that's why he's upset. So it's a weird situation where they traded for him in his $41 million a year, uh, contract only to sit him. He has not appeared in any games um, for the Rockets. He's completely healthy. He has not played in a game. And he and the Rockets continue to negotiate, basically, on whether or not he's going to come back because the team obviously has kind of a young nucleus of guys that they want to see as they're in rebuilding mode. The team wants Wall to come off of the bench um, and play a complementary role to those young players and see where it goes from there. Wall wants to be just inserted right into the starting lineup as a max contract player and someone who has been an all-star in the past. I say that John Wall has to get put on blast for that because I find it kind of ridiculous that he doesn't at least consider saying, hey, why don't I just try this complimentary role thing? If I'm as good as I'm saying that I still am, I'll come in, I'll ball out, I'll be better than these young guys anyway, and they'll be forced to put me into the starting lineup because they won't want to look stupid. I don't understand why he doesn't just do that Versus saying, nope, if you're not going to guarantee me that I'm going to come back and be in the starting lineup, then I'm not going to play. I want to continue to sit out. And I don't know how we get resolution on this because I actually, I I don't generally applaud the Rockets for things, but I'm going to applaud them for sticking to their guns here and saying, nah, man, we'll just continue to not play you. It's a little weird that they got to pay him 41 million bucks uh, to not play. But John Wall definitely going on blast for that for me. My on blast, Greg, is, is LSU. I laughed out loud Saturday night when I'm on Twitter, and uh, here comes old uh, Coach O, Coach George <laughs> Rangel. How about them Tigers, right? I mean, he got the biggest smile on his face, pounds the desk, 
and he's ready to pack the U-Haul and head off into the sunset and get That's paid seventeen million, seventeen million dollars <laughs> to do it. LSU is on on blast. They 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 pulled a, a Steve Peterson is what they've done. They were the first to whack their guy, two years removed from a national championship. Was Ed as locked in as he needed to be, or was he enjoy being Coach O? And he was enjoying being Coach O. That being said, um, where's LSU at right now? No Lincoln, no Aranda, no Jimbo. Uh, they may get Matt Campbell, but they were the first to, to, to whack one of their own. I mean, a, 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 a through and true proud Cajun dude his whole life wanted to just coach LSU. Right. And who's to say they wouldn't, he wouldn't have turned it around next year. But, you know, where are they at? They don't have an answer right now. They may find someone, but they've just kind of reinforced uh, how toxic that place is with uh, underappreciating a winning team. And really it's a giant neon sign of the rest of the world, as is Lincoln Riley, that uh, you're going to have to accept down seasons at, uh, at blue bloods or no bloods. That's just how the sports world is. And the sooner the LSU fan base gets that and the LSU AD, the better, because uh, this cycle has been pretty bad for them. LSU's on blast. They still don't have anyone in the head coach's office. I I we've stumbled into a tremendous point that I may have to look into further. Do do college football teams, blue bloods included, need to accept the occasional down year? Has yes. a guy has a guy like Nick Saban spoiled He's ruined other, it for other college football fans. And even actually, you know what? You're on Clemson. Clemson this year. Now no yeah. one's calling for Dabo to be fired. He's got equity in there, right? But those fans are upset because – and I, you know what's funny? I don't follow Clemson a ton, but I see on Twitter, like, Clemson fans all upset. And I was like, oh, let me just go check to see what their record is. Aren't they, I think They're they winning 10 games. Yeah, I think they went into nine <laughs> or ten wins. Um, even looking up LSU and what they did this year, considering all the situations, they went 500 and went six and three, three and five in the league. But they went six and six overall, even with knowing that the coach had been fired um, and all of the things going on there. So it's just – yeah, I do. I do think that that's the case, and I'll be fascinated to see who LSU ends up getting um, to be the coach because it's undeniably a good job, but it's also undeniably a complete pressure cooker. Um, and I think that people talk about you know unrealistic expectations. I mean, the last two coaches there have won national championships, both got fired. So I don't know. <laughs> that's a little rough. Well, Greg, we're talking about potentially. A, a, a two loss, maybe three loss. I mean, because say say Bama doesn't fix that fourth quarter against Auburn, they're still nine and two heading into Georgia. Right against. So Nick Saban was an eyelash away from maybe being nine and three this year. Right, and you know Bama fans will freak, but it's it, <laughs> it's it, it, it it happens. Right, it Clemson does happen. was down. SC went down after uh, Pete Carroll. Oregon's had a down year. You know, can you minimize your downtime? Back in the day, uh, when Oklahoma didn't have a quarterback, they had Adrian Peterson. They were still winning eight games. Right. But you've just got to weather, and everyone just has to reset, reload, rebuild, and the portal doesn't help that. It can help. It no. can help, but it can also raise. Yeah, it helps you on the back end, but it, it can also get you on the front end. So it's just it's it, it's more. 
dare I say, NFL-like, where you're going to be good for a while, but it's never a consistent roster. So right. you just got to be patient as a fan base. And then there's Nebraska's instance where you're, you're sick for four years because of what you could have had, could have been, and you can just see it. You can almost touch. It's right there. Yeah. You can almost touch high-level finishes and winning and being in contention for something more than a bowl game, but you're still searching for that bowl game. Right. That'll do it for this week's episode. Good stuff. So subscribe to the podcast every week. Rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you only leave four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. <laughs> Make sure you check out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network. The Mind Your Own Podcast, the Varsity Club, the Nebraska Preps Post Game Show, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show featuring Chris Schmidt. Also, check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. I'm back on there with another recruiting question of the week. This week, talking about what Nebraska can do on the recruiting trail right now as the contact period is open. First time since January of 2020 that you can go in home and make these recruiting visits. Uh, you can get after us on Twitter at GregSmithHB and at Schmidt underscore radio. And you can email the show at straightupbreakdown at hillvarsity.com. I will catch you guys next week. A Huda Media Production.